right. Hey, guys. How's it going? I'm Scott Horton. You guys like it when I say things, so I'll do some saying. Uh, so today's the 10th of March. Questions and answers. You ask me questions and I try to answer them. Uh, I hope I didn't miss anybody. You know, I got a few tweets here and a few emails there, and so who knows? You know, I don't know. All right. Uh, yeah, first of all, troops to Raqqa. Somebody said, what do you think about troops to Raqqa? Well, I'm against it. Uh, do I think that they're going? Oh, yeah, they're there. They announced they're sending regular infantry, not just special forces. They're sending Marines. Artillery and men on foot with rifles, I guess. Um, not just MARSOC and Force Recon, but regular infantry, they said. And then there's a report I have here. Where is it? Army Times. U.S. is sending 2,500 troops to Kuwait, ready to step up the fight in Syria and Iraq. Now, there was another one from James Gordon Meek at ABC News. Um, back, uh, what's today? Friday, so it would be three or four days ago, I guess now. Three days ago. And maybe four. Maybe five. I think four. Anyway. Uh, saying that, oh yeah, it's on. They're escalating against Al-Qaeda in the south of Yemen. They're escalating in east and west Islamic State. I.e. western Iraq and eastern Syria. Both. And in... North Africa is the way they put it, which is, you know, maybe they didn't want to say the country formerly known as Libya. It's now split into at least, you know, three major pieces and many more than that, really. Uh, uh, many of them at war with each other. Uh, I don't know if they just didn't want to call it that or if they're maybe more likely leaving the door open to, hey, we might have to go to Algeria, might have to go to Mali. Of course, Hillary's war for jihad in Libya led straight to the war in Mali. I guess we haven't really discussed that in a while. What's that, you ask? How's that, Scott? Well, what happened was is she fought a war for the Libyan veterans of al-Qaeda in Iraq. And one of the things that happened was, as you remember, there were massive pogroms against blacks on the theory that, and she knew this because Sidney Blumenthal warned her about it, that, yeah, uh, Gaddafi had hired blacks to be mercenaries in his private Gestapo. He didn't trust the army to be an army. They might overthrow him. So he pretty much, the only real military force he had was his own kind of special forces brigade. And I guess maybe some of these were mercs from sub-Saharan Africa, and there was some truth to it. Uh, some of them were Tuaregs. That ended up being the excuse, of course, for massive anti-black pogroms, and especially the complete... Cleansing, as they call it. Ethnic cleansing of the city of Tuerga. The town, but pretty big town, I think. Um, and real catastrophe. Seriously. But so, the Tuareg fighters, you might know them. They're the men, the blue men of the Sahara Desert, they call them. They wear blue burqa-looking things, basically, all wrapped up. Like the women of Afghanistan. And, uh... Anyway, that's where Timbuktu is, in Mali. You know how Timbuktu is the phrase for way the hell out in the middle of nowhere? Well, it used to be a big trading post. Shortcut 
you know, from going all the way around the big bulgy northwestern part of Africa there, right? Uh, anyway, so the Tuareg fighters who were who were the mercenaries who worked for Gaddafi, the kernel of truth to that giant terrible rumor that all blacks somehow uh, were his men uh, and women and children, for that matter. Uh, those Tuaregs took their guns and went home. And in northern Mali, they had a deal for more or less autonomy from the south, which is um, basically a different ethnicity. They're black Africans in the south, and the Tuaregs are their own kind of weird mix of Arab and Berber and their own sort of thing up there. And they had kind of autonomy from the government in the south, but these guys came back with their guns and said, autonomy's not good enough, we want independence. And they went to war for independence from the south. But then their jihadist enemies who had just defeated them in their, uh, their war on Qaddafi's side, chased them down into Mali, hijacked and marginalized the Tuareg fighters, took over their war, and went to war all the way into the south. Not just for independence, but to try to conquer the south, and took, I guess, two major cities there. And finally the French intervened in 2000, and I think, early 14. And so, yeah, now all the jihadists from the Libya war... Uh, who came to Mali and whatever progress they've made in recruiting new forces there, is that going to be a blank check for General Mattis to go after those guys as well? I don't know why not. It's another crisis Hillary Clinton created. you got to go solve it, don't you? That's the mantra. It's not like Trump's going to not let them. For whatever reason, Obama was reluctant to get into war in northern Mali, another area the size of Texas. Maybe he had enough of those going on at the time, but Trump's giving him a blank check, man. It's on. They said North Africa, which is deliberately vague, man. You could even include Somalia in that, which I think they already named Somalia separately anyway. All right. Um, and then, so somebody asked me what I read. And the first answer is uh, I read Jason Ditz at news.antiwar.com and just plain old antiwar.com. Him and Eric Garris. They are really antiwar.com. They put all that stuff on the top of the page for you there. Uh, well, on the whole page. All those news articles. I'm the viewpoints editor. I'm the guy that uh, picks and chooses the viewpoints for you there. And then you can see what I read there. The National Interest and Consortium News. Doug Bandow nearly every damn day. <laughs> and whatever. I mean, this is all my best stuff for you. Whatever Gareth Porter writes. Um, but, um, you know, beyond that, I... Admit, I got to read the Post and the Times and the AP and Reuters and all that basic stuff, same as everybody else. Um, United Press International has a lot of military-industrial complex news, UPI, um, and it's shameless. You know, they don't know that. You know, they're just like, hey, we got a big government contract came in and investors are happy. And there's this kind of tone of that sort of business news coverage of, of militarism. So there's good stuff there. And then... You know, of course, foreignpolicy.com and all that kind of crap. Um, and Marcy Wheeler at Empty Wheel. Uh, every morning I read the foreword and Mondo Weiss for news about the Israel lobby and uh, Israel-Palestine type stuff. Uh, the Electronic Intifada, probably I should more. Uh, Hornberger and the crew at the Future Freedom Foundation. Um, I read, uh, well, and especially now for putting together the uh, Libertarian Institute website every night. I've been going, doing more and more uh, 
reading of other libertarians who I have irresponsibly ignored. But there's good stuff at Cato and Reason and at the Beacon. That's the Independent Institute blog. I mean, you got Robert Higgs and other great people there. Um, Foundation for Economic Education, Jeff Tucker and Dan Sanchez and all of them. Did I say uh, FFF, Jacob Hornberger and Bovard and all those guys? Uh, David Stockman, man, is now charging for his articles, which I think is a travesty because, I mean, I guess he's got to make a living and whatever, but he should do a separate newsletter that he charges a million bucks for because his articles are so good. And, you know, his article used to be so, uh, his uh, website used to be so ugly and he got this awesome new website, but now you got to pay an arm and a leg to read his stuff. So no linking to it, no showing it to people. But I got to tell you, I mean, I think along with Bandau, Stockman is really the best the libertarian movement has to offer when it comes to um, U.S. foreign policy and fighting the empire. I mean, he is just great. He really is so damn good. In fact, I probably told you this before, but I'll tell you again in case you don't know it. Uh, he wrote the best thing that anybody ever wrote. It's called uh, Keynesian Myths. Keynesian Myths, Monetary Central Planning. And the triumph of the warfare state. Man, there's some 20th century history you need to know. Right freaking there. Woodrow Wilson Hayton SOB right here, my friend. I love him. And I haven't read his book yet because it's a million pages, so I haven't started it because I'm afraid of it. But, man. Keynesian myths, monetary central planning, and the triumph of the warfare state. Read that. Stockman. Email Stockman. Tell man Stockman, you got to lift that paywall. You got to let us read your stuff, dude. All right. Um, and of course, uh, Mises. Uh, great stuff. Ryan McMacken and all the guys at Mises.org are writing a bunch of great stuff, man. And uh, uh, Free Thought Project when it comes to cops. Um, Free Thought Project, Cop Block, and Pinac. That's um, photography is not a crime. Doing great stuff there. And then I'm just looking at my bookmarks here. Of course, I could read The Intercept, Spiked Online, Brendan O'Neill. Man, you know, give or take. Sometimes he's great. Uh, War is Boring has good stuff, even though I hardly ever run it because there's almost always some kind of poison pill in it. Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, they're communists, but they're good, dude. I like them, dude. They hate Democrats. They attack Democrats like hell and... That's all I can ask for out of a left-winger, really. And and they attack him for the right stuff, right? I mean, maybe they attack him for not being commie on healthcare enough or whatever, but mostly they attack him for being horrible on all the things that you and me hate him for, too, like the wars and the lies, the bailouts and the these kinds of things. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, Truth Out published some good stuff still. Um, of course, the American Conservative Magazine. There's... Um, Oh, and Soft Rep. I've been trying to get in the habit of reading Soft Rep, which it's not like they're anti-war, but they do some good coverage. I'm trying to get that guy, Jack Murphy, on the show, actually, to talk about the assassination by Al-Qaeda. Was it Al-Qaeda or the Islamic State that assassinated the three American Ranger trainers, Green Berets, training these guys in Jordan for Obama? Uh, remember that story? I'm not sure why I didn't get him on the show then. But anyway, I'm going to try to work that out. And uh, what did I leave out? I've been lazy, man. I've been working hard on this Afghanistan book. Oh, there's um, the diplomat and uh, Afghan analysts. They got some really interesting stuff at Afghan analysts. 
I really should. Before I turn in my final copy of my book, I should take one last look at that side, I guess. All right. Um, more questions. Um, Kyle's emails here, I wrote to myself. Um, so, um, New Trump travel ban says Iran supports Al-Qaeda. True or false? It also labels Hezbollah as a terrorist organization. Is Hezbollah a terrorist organization like ISIS, Al-Qaeda? Well, no, it's a G-damn lie that Iran supports Al-Qaeda. It's just absolutely not true at all. And when America chased a bunch of Al-Qaeda guys out of Afghanistan in 2001 and a whole bunch of them fled to Iran, they were all arrested and held. And they were renditioned basically back to their home countries except for a very few and we've talked i've talked about this on the show with the lady who was negotiating with them hillary mann leverett she was on george w bush's national security council and after 9 11 they said hey america this is another opportunity for us to kiss your ass can we please be friends again and they were working together against al-qaeda and then Bush called them part of the axis of evil. Oh, yeah. Saddam Hussein, the Ayatollah Khomeini, and Osama bin Laden, they're all in a big axis together against you. You buying that, stupid? Okay, good. Said Bush in his State of the Union 2002. Can't believe people bought that seriously. Well, geez, that's what David Frum told him to say. That's what Richard Pearl told David Frum to tell him to say. So surely Richard Pearl knows what he's talking about, right? Yeah. Anyway, and then, of course, um, you know, the Dick Cheney policy of we don't talk to evil and all that kicked in. And uh, the Americans refused to work with the Iranians at all. Fought a whole war for them in Iraq and yet refused to talk with them the whole damn time uh, during the Bush years. Just completely crazy. But anyway, they wanted to uh, trade al-Qaeda captives for the Mujahideen-e Kalk communist terrorist cult that Cheney and Rumsfeld were cultivating and the Israelis uh, to do intelligence and then later the Israelis used them to do assassinations inside Iran. And um, so they refused. Iran said, look, we got bin Laden's son, the terrorist one, not the one that gave the interview to Rolling Stone. And, you know, we've got all these other guys. Uh, one of them was... Uh, I forget the guy's name, but uh, years and years later, in 2000, say, I don't know, 9 or 10-ish, something like that, an Iranian diplomat was kidnapped by al-Qaeda guys in Pakistan. And they said, if you want your diplomat back, you got to let our al-Qaeda guys go. And at that point, the Iranians dealt and they gave up a couple of these pretty important Al-Qaeda guys, apparently original friends of Osama from the original core group, and they let them go. I think two of them. In exchange for this diplomat. And of course, none of that would have happened if Cheney and Rumsfeld had accepted these guys in trade for the MEK that was, you know, being kept as pets of Saddam Hussein in Iraq and were inherited by the U.S. upon the invasion in 03 uh, years before. But instead, these guys ended up going free and killing more people. I think one of them ended up getting killed in a drone strike, but not before he'd caused more problems. And, you know, frankly, all the people who say that Iran is behind al-Qaeda, look who they are. They're all the people who want war with Iran most. They're all the people who serve the interests of Israel most. 
They're all people who are proven liars from the past few wars. And we already know exactly how they do it. They cherry pick out whatever they can to look. Al-Qaeda guys in Iran. Yeah, well, that's a little vague, isn't it? Under house arrest in Iran, is that what you meant to say? Imprisoned in Iran? Under the thumb of the secret police in Iran? Is that what you're... Oh, okay. <laughs> Those deals sort of make it sound a little different, don't they? I say deals or details. Jeez. And then Hezbollah. Is Hezbollah a terrorist organization? And eh, not really. Certainly not like ISIS and Al-Qaeda, if you want to call them that. And the idea that Iran is the world's greatest sponsor of terrorism because they back Hezbollah is just nonsense. And you know, the thing is, I sort of kind of hate to always rely on Gareth Porter, but what are you going to do? He's great. And this whole mythology of Hezbollah being the greatest sponsor of terrorism mostly all hinges on a bunch of fake episodes. You know, there's a bombing in Argentina at a Jewish community center in 1994, and it was a bunch of damn Nazis inside the police forces that did it. But Hezbollah got the blame for political reasons because Israel and their various fifth columns and intelligence officers and whoever around the world would rather let Nazis get away with bombing and killing Jews if they can blame it on Hezbollah because that's their priority in politics. Just like Bill Clinton and Louis Free blamed the Kobar Towers attack in Saudi Arabia in 1996 on Iranian-backed Saudi Hezbollah. Uh-huh. Which, isn't that interesting? See how the motive then is, oh, Iran, they just hate us. And so they took advantage of this military base across the Gulf there for an easy strike. Oh, is that so, huh? But you see, what's missing then is the lesson. Saudis did it. Bin Laden and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed actually did it. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's not a Saudi. But anyway, uh, it was Al-Qaeda that did it. And they did it because they wanted American forces the hell off of their peninsula. But instead, that entire lesson was lost in the propaganda of trying to pin it on Hezbollah, which is nonsense. Um, and anyway, so, um, you know, they are very closely linked with Iran. But if you take... Um, you know, this supposed rash of bombings, too. One in India, one in Belgium, and uh, where's the other one? I forget. Was it Macedonia or something? Uh, a few years ago. And then Gareth went and looked at all three of these and just said, look, man, there's no reason to say that Hezbollah did this unless just you want to. And you start with that conclusion and try to figure out a way to pretend that it must have been Hezbollah that did it. And... Um, yeah, it's just not the case. In fact, I just finished interviewing. Uh, it's on the interview feed, or it will be, a guy named Joost Hilterman about um, Iran's relationship with the Houthis in Yemen. And he talked about the birth of Hezbollah because we're you know comparing and contrasting. His article is actually called um, The Houthis Are Not Hezbollah. Because they really are very, very closely tied to Iran. Um, but he talked about the history of Hezbollah, where they come from. Well, the Shiites in Lebanon had no power at all and were the odd men out in the 
confessional arrangement of their government anyway. And then when the Israelis invaded to go after the PLO, they terribly mistreated the local Shia Arab population. And so the party of God, it's Hezbollah, I keep being corrected and I keep saying it wrong anyway, Hezbollah came into existence in response. And that was where, you know, war is the health of the state. War is the health of Hezbollah's little mini-state there. They became the Shiite people's protectors from the Israelis. And that's where their power came from. They only started existing in 1982. They'd never been around before that. So uh, that's where they had come from. And then, uh, importantly, and I'm not saying this has been the absolute end to all terrorist acts by them anywhere in the world definitively or this kind of thing. But it's important to note that uh, Robert Pape says, according to his database that he's put together, that the last Hezbollah suicide bombing was in 1999. As the Israelis were preparing to withdraw, that was it. Suicide bombings halted. And then the Israelis withdrew the next year, and that was it. Hezbollah has not waged a single suicide attack against Israel since Israel stopped occupying their country where they had stayed for 18 years since 1982. So, um, you know, and now they are really a mini state. They are, um, you know, and they're a, a representative part, an elected representative part of the Lebanese confessional system there. So, you know, they started out as an insurgent group, really, and yeah, they use suicide terrorist tactics, I don't know the entire history of their targets in their suicide bombing campaigns or whether they really targeted civilians very much or not. Hezbollah, the Lebanese, I don't know. Maybe. Um, but their their suicide campaign, whether whoever all their targets were, obviously including uh, Israeli forces, it stopped. And you know what? I mean, pretty much any revolutionary becomes conservative the day after he wins, right? So Nasrallah and his people, they have power and they want to keep it. So they're not trying to pick too big of a fight. That doesn't mean they're not somewhat dangerous, but it means that, you know, just because they have the power and ability to maintain independence from Israeli freedom of action in southern Lebanon doesn't make them a threat to the United States. You know, the Beirut bombing was a long time ago, and even then, that was the Amal militia. It was not Hezbollah that did that. But anyway, details, details, right? All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to say, I know everybody always wants to take everything out of context. I'm siding with Hezbollah like they're angels or something. All I'm saying is, you know, look at the accusations against them and judge those accusations on their own merits. It's just like when George W. Bush, um, when he was the governor... And he pardoned Henry Lee Lucas, the serial killer. And Governor Bush told Country Line magazine that, hey, I've executed a lot of people, all right? Let's get that straight. But it turns out that he was, Henry Lee Lucas was sentenced to death for a murder that he couldn't possibly have committed because he was in jail in Florida at the time. So I had to commute a sentence because the law is the law, man. What am I going to do? Execute a guy for a crime I know he didn't commit? And yeah, he's a serial killer, and he murdered a bunch of other people. But that's not what he was sentenced to death for. So what are you going to do? Get it? 
The truth is the truth, even if it's about somebody you don't like. And even if you like the lie against them. If it ain't true, it ain't. That's all. And that's a real quote, by the way. I wish I still had my copy of that. Country Line magazine. I saved it for a long, long time. I love that quote. All right. Um, next question. A judge ordered Iran to pay $14 billion in damages for 9-11. Any truth to the claim Iran was involved in 9-11? No, absolutely not. And those judges are total cranks and kooks. And I guess I should have done a little bit of research before this questions and answers session so I could cite great articles. I'm sure if you just add Gareth Porter's name to it, you find a, a take uh, by him somewhere. Um, but you know what? I bet you if you just search up Iran 9-11, you'll find plenty of debunking. I mean, it's just not true. I mean, in fact, if I could concede anything to the other side of the story, it would be that Iran did help Al-Qaeda forces in Bosnia in the early to mid-1990s when Bill Clinton made a deal with the Iranians that, hey, Iran, will you help us spread Mujahideen jihadi terrorism into Bosnia? And they all worked together on a deal there. But otherwise, uh, no. I, I don't know the slightest bit of evidence other than total innuendo and accusation. Again, these Al-Qaeda guys were in Iran at some point. Uh-huh. And were they the cat's paws of the intelligence services or not? Did the Iranians teach them how to hijack planes? Did the Iranians have... A representative at the Malaysia meeting, you know, with the Iranians holding their hands and monitoring them and following them around inside the United States. No, 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 no. It's all just a bunch of crap. And yeah, it's funny. The New York judges and their terrorism rulings are uh, some. There should be a book about that, a separate book about just what ain't true about things that New York judges say about who's responsible for what terrorist attacks. It's completely nuts. All right. Then Kyle asks, how crazy is Kim Jong-un? I think you've covered the nukes protect North Korean sovereignty subject well, but is there any threat that the guy is crazy and actually will nuke South Korea or Japan without being attacked first? Nah. I mean, what the hell? You know, anybody with that much power, it might go to their head and do something crazy. I'm against nuclear weapons for that purpose. For that reason. And, you know, these things could happen. I just don't know enough the guy uh, about the guy, really, to comment. But I imagine that, no, he's not insane. He inherited the policy from his father. His father made nukes, not for insane reasons, but because George W. Bush was threatening war against him. And nukes are a deterrent. That's it. Bush broke the deal that we had with him. Search this up. How Bush pushed North Korea to nukes. You like that? I wrote the title. It's uh, Gordon Prather. The great Gordon Prather at antiwar.com. How Bush pushed North Korea to nukes. All his damn fault. Um, but so, yeah, no, I mean, and look, uh, the obvious answer here is Trump should go to Pyongyang right now. He should announce he's on his way halfway there. This is uh, Air Force One calling uh, Pyongyang uh, International Airport. We want to schedule a landing on runway three and talk with your guys. Okay, cool. Please don't shoot us down because we would take offense to that. All right, good. Let's have a meeting. What do you guys got to eat around here? 
right? That's got to be job one. And it should be easy enough. All you got to do is stop threatening them. Seriously. Hey, Kim Jong-un, all America's previous threats against you, off the table. Forget about all that. In fact, here's a security guarantee. I promise we'll never attack you. Swear to God, on camera, in front of everybody. And I speak for America and the entire state. Ain't going to happen. Don't worry. Chill the hell out. Let's have a peace deal. Ceasefire ain't good enough for anybody. Let's shake hands and let's have a real peace. Let's figure out a way that we can, you know, if not reintegrate the peninsula under one state, at least get along and drop all the tension and pretension. And I'm not being utopian. I'm just saying that America's policy on the Korean Peninsula is completely stupid and nuts. You know, what I say sounds utopian in comparison to what we're doing now, but I don't think that's really a fair comparison. <laughs> you know? All right. Uh, man, I know I'm missing one. Oh, Bill. Um, Bill says to me, oh, man, I should have read this whole thing. Well, hell, I can pause this for a second, can I? Let me read this. All right, so Bill says... Yeah, I don't know. I'm listening to Marcy, and it seems like she's sort of contradicting what Craig Murray said, and this and that, and it's all very complicated, all this hacking, and APT28, uh, I was calling it Apartment 28. That's not an abbreviation for apartment. Well, hell. APT28, that's supposedly the GRU, and 29 is supposedly the FSB, and this and that, and I gotta say that I think... You know, a lot of the argument is some sort of tautology kind of question-begging sort of thing that, you know, well, how do you know it's the Russians? Well, because it looks like just like this thing that was the Russians before, but how do you know that was the Russians? Well, because it was the same as this thing that was the Russians before that. Well, but it turns out it's turtles all the way down, you know? Uh, I don't know. And then even if you say, okay, yeah, at whatever X period of time, when this kind of thing was done, it was the Russians. Well, I don't see how that really proves that when the exact same pattern of behavior was done later, it was them again, because it would seem to be just as easy for someone to fake that as some of this really seems to be. And then, of course, there's the, the separate question of whether... Apartment 28 and Apartment 29, or APT 28 and 29, had hacked the DNC, and whether they were tied to the Russians or not, whether they were actually the source for WikiLeaks. Because after all, it's perfectly plausible that the GRU, the FSB, and every other intelligence agency on Earth hacked the DNC, and then someone gave that stuff to WikiLeaks. We don't know. I tend to think Craig Murray's probably not lying. Maybe he doesn't know everything. But I think he's telling the truth when he says that he was in D.C. and he met the person who gave the stuff to WikiLeaks. Or at least their representative or something very close to that. And the Daily Mail later reported that he claimed that he got he received the leak himself there in the woods in D.C. that day. But he did not say that to me. And when I brought that up to Ray McGovern later, Ray said that he had talked to Craig Murray. And Craig Murray had said, and you could have guessed this, that that was Daily Mail bad reporting. That what he told them was the same thing he told me on this show. 
was not that he personally had received the leak, but because of this person that he had met in the woods in D.C., he sure knew who the leaker was. And the leaker was not a hacker. It was a leaker, and it was someone from inside the DNC who did it. And then he also said, not outright, but he very strongly implied, and I kind of you know, questioned him into a corner, and he basically confirmed that what he was saying was that John Podesta's leak came not from Russian fishing, but from inside the American intelligence services. And in fact, well, hell, I have it here, don't I? You want me to play this clip for you? Nah, because I don't have it queued up and everything. But I'll tell you that uh, if you go to antiwar.com slash blog, uh, there's a clip there of the Hannity show. And Hannity's interviewing William Binney, who I also interviewed about this, if you want to check the archive, just last month or two or something. Uh, maybe January. Um, but it's Hannity interviews Binney and Lieutenant Colonel, retired, Tony Schaefer, who you may be familiar with as half the time hawkish and half the time not Fox News pundit, contributor, guest type. And Schaefer was saying, basically, hey, I ain't asking you. I'm telling you, man, this stuff did not come from Russia. He's a former, I don't know if he's DIA or what. He's saying he's a former intelligence officer, but he's not CIA. He's a military guy, I'm pretty sure. So I guess that means DIA or naval intelligence or some kind of thing, whatever the hell it was. Army intelligence. And he was saying, listen, if you're in intelligence and you know intelligence guys, they'll tell you. Everybody knows. This stuff was leaked by them. This stuff came from them. And he's a little bit vague about this stuff, DNC this and Podesta that and whatever. He doesn't exactly nail it down. Benny's nodding his head, yeah. He's saying, you know, and Benny's case is circumstantial. The way Benny put it on this show was that if the Russians had done it and then provided it to WikiLeaks in whatever way, the NSA would know that. We'd be able to absolutely show that APT28 was the GRU and that they were the ones who took all of this stuff and that they were the ones who had transferred it to at least some point where it must have been handed off to WikiLeaks from there. You know what I mean? And they can't do that. And the NSA says, yeah, well, we judge this with moderate confidence because they don't have the goods. So they're saying, yeah, best we can tell, this is our conspiracy theory that we're more or less going with till we find out better later. Well, that's not very convincing, is it? And now what Tony Schaefer didn't say and what Hannity didn't ask him was, hey, man, did they do this because of revenge against Hillary Clinton? Or did they do this because they're trying to really pick a serious fight with Vladimir Putin? And ratchet up Cold War tension. I mean, after all, think of it like this. If it was really true that the Russians had put some huge thumb on the scale during the American election, that could conceivably lead down a path to war, right? Listen, we overthrow third countries to protect our interests from each other, but we don't overthrow the Kremlin, and the Kremlin doesn't overthrow D.C. That's the deal, right, guys? So if all these lies were true, which they're totally stupid lies, completely ridiculous, this whole freaking, you know, conspiracy quackery that the entire liberal establishment is engaged in right now and along with the military and the spies and led by the Washington Post and whatever. 
But if that stuff was true, that's really playing with fire, man. So I would like to ask Tony Schaefer, and maybe I will try to get him on and ask him this on the show. This is about they hate Hillary, because that's an understandable emotion, man. Everybody hates Hillary Clinton. Bill hates Hillary Clinton. So they were trying to stop her. That's believable. Or, you know, it could be both, right? Two birds, one stone sort of a thing. But I'd like to hear his comment on that. But he sure seemed sure that he had talked to other intelligence people and that they had told them, they had told him they weren't kidding. They knew for sure. This wasn't the Russians. This was American intelligence officers leaked this stuff to WikiLeaks. Apparently, that's what they're saying. I don't know whether it's true or not, but that's what CIA is saying about the latest leak of their hacking tools is they suspect maybe it was a contractor, but that it was not some outside hack, that it was a leak. So, so much for speculation, uh, blaming the Russians there. All right, am I done? I think I'm done. Uh, Thanks, guys. Hey, listen, uh, here's what you do. Um, If you want to help support the show, go to scotthorton.org slash support. That stuff goes pretty much straight to supporting uh, the cost of this show and making it go. And then there's also libertarianinstitute.org slash support. If you want to give me some money but watch me divide it with the rest of the guys there, then we'll do that. Not that any of us have made a dime yet, but we're working on it. Um, And then, uh, yeah, man, follow me on Twitter, at Scott Horton Show. Listen to me on Sunday mornings on KPFK in L.A., uh, I do interviews all week long at scotthorton.org slash interviews. And then this is now the questions and answers feed at uh, scotthorton.org slash show. So thanks very much, guys.